What is so powerful about the book of James? And we're going to camp out in the book of James for about a month. So if you want to, just go ahead and turn to the book of James and put your bookmarker there. The book of James is about the cut to the chase, the bottom of the line, the practical faith that works. That's what the book of James, I like that. He just gets to the point and doesn't mess around. James, which most biblical scholars say was the brother of Jesus, and they say he wrote this. Uh, some of the best ancient Catholic scholars say he was a cousin of Jesus. Either way, he was, he was, he was close relative to Jesus. The Apostle Paul who I really admire, who wrote over a third of our New Testament, had a lot of theological constructs. And when you read his letters, sometimes they're a little hard to put your mind around. And sometimes after I, I read, you know, a lot of Paul's writings, I want to scratch my head and I want to say, you know, well, what does he mean by that? But that's not the case when you come to the book of James, because James is, is just a no-nonsense kind of, of guy where it says it's faith, and it works. So I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us just to camp out here for a little while. And I want us to discover something from the book of James. I want us to discover something about faith. I want us to, to look about what it is. And I want us to look at faith in a new context. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Now we need to understand that. Faith is not the absence of doubt. You got to understand, James, who I consider was the brother, half brother of Jesus, did not believe in Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, James was an agnostic. He was an agnostic toward his own brother during, during Jesus' lifetime. Yet we read after the resurrection, there was a miraculous conversion in this man's life. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7 of, of Jesus. He appears to his disciples and and then he says he appears to the 500, and then he, he, he just pins in there, just a note, and then he appears to James. Well, he lets us know. There's a special reason why he appears to James. And then James goes from being this agnostic leader to the church leader of Jerusalem. He starts leading the new church in Jerusalem. For, so for James, this man has gone through a total transformation. James is now... A person who's doing everything he can to what God has called him to do, what God has called him to be. Now, there's not a magical formula that James took. There's not some secret sayings that James uttered from his lips. There wasn't that fact at all. Friends, the person who is doing everything for God who is wanting to follow God, who reads their Bible every day, who prays every day, who goes to church. We've got to understand, if we do all of those things, and you're sitting here this morning, we are not excluded from pain. We're not excluded from persecution. We are not even excluded from death. And yet we do all of these things. And James himself, if you'll study this young man, James himself died a martyr in 62 A.D., it was less than 18 years after he penned this book. So think about it for a moment. Martyr means James died for his faith. Now, I think this is a topic we all need to listen to and understand in our culture and our society and where we're living right now. One of the major themes in the first chapter of the book of James is that faith is, is, is persevering when life doesn't make sense and when, when crap happens. That's, that's the basic bottom line. You won't find that in your footnotes or of your Bible, but that's my interpretation of it, okay? 
All right, that's what it means, all right? What you read on many, many bumper stickers is true. Okay? It does happen. It will happen in life. It happens to the good people. It will take place. Now, what we will see is that, that the reason God has given us the Word, His Word, is for us to have wisdom. Not just that we know the Word, but that we should know the truth, and that by having the truth and the wisdom of the Word, the truth will set us free. And that's some, something that we all need to grasp and put our minds around. Now, what don't you do right now? I want you to settle down for a moment. Bow your head. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, to give you wisdom. To give you the kind of wisdom that, that no one on earth can give you, only heaven can give you. Would you ask that God would give you the empowerment? God gave everyone in this room the empowerment to, to persevere when life doesn't make sense. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As your pastor, I sometimes am overwhelmed by the bad things that happen to good people. Every day I either get an email, I get a phone call, or I talk to someone who has experienced a tragedy in their life. And remember, we're not talking about bad things happening to bad people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when bad things happening to, to people who are doing everything they know, everything they know to do to be right with God. That's the kind of people I'm talking about. So that's the question we asked this morning, all right? So why do bad things happen to good people? Now, to me, here's what's so amazing. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever, ever try to explain this question. The Bible, folks, if you look at it, does not even attempt to give an answer to why bad things happen. As a matter of fact, the oldest book in the Bible, which is the book of Job. You should have known that one. The book of Job, the very first part of that book identifies Job as this righteous dude that is living a righteous life, a perfect life before God, and he's pleasing God. None of us could ever measure up to how Job is living right now. Now, if anything could possibly go wrong, Job is one of those cases where everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Okay? That's one thing we learn about this guy here. And so Job is even having his party. He's got all of his friends and neighbors and everybody around. He's got everybody in his home there. He's got his family there. The roof of his house caves in and kills his children. What's up? And then later on, he develops some kind of disease, that constant flowing pulse, plus coming out of his, out of his, of his wounds and his sores. Well, his friends, got some really good cool friends that hang around with him. They, they pop up throughout the book of Job saying something like this. Well, Job, you must have done something to really tick God off because he's really after you. I mean, he's just really, really, really got something against you. And I love one of those lines that Job says. It's one of those lines you can underline. He says, though, if even God slays me, I will trust in him. He never turns away from God. And I love what that says. You know, in all these books that we have in the Bible, nowhere does the Bible try to give an explanation for why bad things happen to good people. It happens. Dong happens. Over in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a, there's a part of that book of the Bible where it sums up all things. It says, fear God and keep his commandments. Now, what I'm going to do today is if you're in the book of James, we're going to read from the book of James. James chapter 1. I love the way it starts off. James, a servant of God. Wow, that's pretty good. It's pretty clear, doesn't it? Huh? Servant of God. What does that tell us? It tells us, hey, it's not about you. It's not about me. 
Well, you know why we're here. What's this life all about? This life all about is to serve God. Look, it says, James, a servant of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Considered it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice it doesn't say if. If you face trials of many kinds, it says expect it. Well, I don't know if I'm going to come to this church anymore if that's what you're going to preach. Well, I'm just telling you what the word says here. Faith doesn't remove you from the world. Jesus said this, I don't pray to remove you from the world. Faith does not exempt the faithful person, the child of God, from the consequences of living in a broken world. Look around you. We live in a broken world. Jesus put it this way. In the world, you're going to have problems. Expect it in the world. Expect you're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart. What? I have overcome what? Hello, anybody awake out there this morning? I have overcome the world. Faith doesn't remove you, doesn't remove me from the problems of the world. Faith does something else. Faith empowers us to excel and live through the problems of the world. Oh, put your mind around that one this morning, okay? Now, a little bit we'll come back to the book of James. Keep your finger there, but I want to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Now, nowhere does it say that if you have enough faith, you know, I'm getting that big faith built up. Nowhere does it say if you have enough faith, bad things won't happen to you. Nowhere does it say that, okay? Now, I know some of you watch those TV preachers. And they teach, teach that, 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 you know, we've got to pray for healing. And I believe, believe in praying for healing. But, friends, I'm, always, I'm here to tell you that God doesn't always heal. If it was God's will to heal us physically, then why do 100% of us die? Now, some of the teachers that we hear on, on TV say if you have faith, you can always be healed. And there would be some people, I would think, if that's the case, who would have enough faith that, that you would be healed and you'd never die. If that's the case, we'd have some people walk around here living forever on this earth. Am I right? Come on now. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4.8. Come on. It, it says something very, very pertinent to us. 2 Corinthians 4.8. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, it doesn't say you're not going to be hard-pressed. What it says there, it says that faith will empower you not to be crushed in the midst of the time that you're hard-pressed. Folks, God is not going to, to take you out of the problems that, that go on through this world. He's not going to take you, nor me, nor anybody else. It's in this way that we go through these problems and the faith that we have in those problems that other people will see the life of Jesus in us. That's what it's all about. He says, James, a servant of God. His life is to reveal who God is in this world. My life, your life, is to reveal who Jesus is in this world. Now, I want you to notice something very important now when you're doing your Bible studies and listen to the preacher on Sunday mornings. You've got to notice something. Notice who the book of James is written to. Do you know the, the Bible, the books of the Bible were written sometimes, sometimes of certain people, certain classes of people, certain people of certain faith? Do you know that? Certain towns, certain churches, individuals. The book of James 
The book of James was not written to the Gentiles. Turn to the person next to you and say, you Gentile. Because you're a Gentile. It wasn't written to you or me. James is sometimes called the gospel of the Jews. The gospel of the Jews. And this is why some folks like Martin Luther, way back when, thought that James should not be included in their Bibles. No, uh-uh, it shouldn't didn't need to be there. Well, James was what we call pre-Paul in the Gentiles world. And that the apostle Paul went out and reached the Gentiles. James was called to reach the Jews. So the first Christians in the world were who? The Jewish people. And the Jewish people, what kind of faith do they practice? That's hard, I know. Judaism. <laughs> Judaism. Where do they worship? Synagogue. Whew, y'all are sharp this morning, man. Stay on it, okay? Okay, now, we got to understand who Jewish people are in the world. Obviously, Jewish people are chosen people. In fact, the Jewish people are called people of the book. So what that tells us is they were entrusted with this unique revelation of God so that the world could know the laws of God and the world could know the moral boundaries of God and that the world could know who God is through the Jewish people. All right? That's why they're special people. Okay. God also wanted the people to know that God's a God of absolutes. And God also wanted his Jewish people to let the world know that there's going to come a redeemer one day through the Jewish people. God's going to send him a son. The son's going to call him a Messiah. And what he's going to do, he's going to establish an alternative kingdom to all the kingdoms of the world that rule by oppression, that rule by power, that rule by warfare. So the Jewish people, get this, the Jewish people, one of the smallest groups of the people in the whole world, had their identity around this city called Jerusalem. In fact, that's still where their identity is found. And it's centered around a place of worship. It was centered around a place of worship called the temple. That's not there anymore. The Golden Dome of the Rock is that place right now. But the temple signified that all the people on earth, that God dwelled among all of these people, he dwelled among these people, these Jewish people, in a very unique way. So what this tells us is calling is not a privilege or protection. Calling is a responsibility. Uh Uh-oh. I want to write that one down. Calling is a responsibility. Now, I'm going to do a little history for you, so right now you can take a little nap, okay? Because we all love history class, don't we? Especially biblical history, okay? There were two major invasions against the people of God. What I, want us to see, I want us to see what happened to these chosen people, these people of the book, these people that God chose. Now, Two invasions, major invasions against the people of God. The first one was in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. You remember that, don't you? Shake your head. Just lie to me. Okay? The second invasion, the last one was in 586, was by the Babylonians, which we now call modern Iraq. Now, 586 B.C. was the last time, except for a very, very brief period of time before the birth of Jesus, that Israel was an independent nation until 1948. Now, can you believe that? From 586 B.C. until May the 14th, 1948, except for just a little brief window of time under the Maccabees, Israel was under siege, being ruled by somebody else. They were not an independent nation. They were slaves to somebody else. Now, it's what that's called in history. It's called the Dispora of the Dispersion. So the Jewish people, they were settled into the areas around the world where they lived as servants, as the people who enslaved them. As a matter of fact, Psalms 137, a very unique psalm, is one of the Babylonian captives wrote that psalm, and he wrote it based on their heads being bashed against the rocks. Okay? 
So these chosen people of God, which means you have a responsibility, not a privilege, they were entrusted with God's book. They were entrusted with God's revelation to the world. Now, though, they were taken to captivity. And for 700 years before Christ, these people experienced some of the worst atrocities that any human beings on this earth have ever experienced. These people of God were displaced, they were despised, they were ghettoized, they were demonized. But isn't it interesting, if you'll notice here, that, it, that, that what it was, these were people who were following God. These were people who were seeking God. These were people who were supposed to exemplify who God was in this world. So why in the world is God calling all this crap to come upon his people? Well, he's not. He's allowing it to happen for a reason. So here are the people of God, the chosen people of God, to express who God is to this world. Anybody want to sign up for that team? Yeah, I'll sign up. That's not like a good place I'd like to be. Folks, let me say this to you this morning. The mission of Jesus is not about going to heaven. That's just a sideline along the road. That's not what our mission is. The question in the Bible is not why. Why do bad things happen to good people? The question the Bible is, what is God's will? What is God's purpose? That's the question. Not why. It's what. What? What's God's plan? I don't know. That's way above my pay grade. Well, Romans 8.28 tells you that. That's why we got this thing called the Bible right here, Okay. Romans 8, 28, it says this, we know, we know, oh, it assumes something there, we know, we know that in all things God is able to work for the good to those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good, it doesn't say that, that God causes all things, don't read anything in there that's not there, please hear me, God never causes pain, God never causes evil, yet sometimes when someone dies a tragic death, I know how it is, someone will say, well, I guess God took them. Come on, you said that, haven't you? I guess God took them. No, friends, the Bible says we. We will read in the first book of the first chapter of James that God doesn't participate in anything that is evil. God can't. Because that is against God's nature. Now, but God, all-powerful God, allows things to happen. Why? Well, I'm here to stand before you this morning and tell you I can't totally know God's thoughts. My ordination didn't give me the mind of God. My theological education didn't give me the all-knowing senses. Even the anointing of the Holy Spirit doesn't give that to us, dear friends. The Bible says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. But you know what? God is able to take all these things, all of these things, and the love we have for God, all these things according to God's purpose, all of these things, and he's going to use them to redeem the world. 
All right? Now, we got a lot of stories in the Bible, don't we, huh? Don't you like the stories? Your children right now in children's church are hearing stories of the Bible. When they go to Sunday school a little bit later on, they're going to hear stories of the Bible. You remember stories of the Bible, huh? As a child? I love them. Okay? All right. One of the stories, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Joseph. I sat in the class a couple months ago with, with Clay when he was teaching the fourth and fifth graders on Sunday morning, and he was doing a story about Joseph. One of the best stories, one of the best ways I've heard that told in a long time, Clay. Very good. You all write a little storybook, okay? All right. But his is too long. I've got to cut it down a little bit. Joseph, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Joseph, if you don't understand it, got a very raw deal, a series of life events, and things started going from bad to worse. Joseph was Abraham's grandson. Jacob was his daddy. Joseph was a favorite of his daddy, and he always ticked off his older brother, so they beat the living daylights out of him one day and sold him to slavery, just like brothers continue to do today. Okay? They put animal blood on his clothing, went back to their dad and told them, told his dad that some animals, you know, got a hold of Joseph and killed him. Okay? So Joseph was taken by slave traders to Egypt. He was sold to the house of Potiphar, who was an assistant to Pharaoh. Now, because Joseph was so smart, he excelled. He became the manager of Potiphar's house in the state. Now, Potiphar had a wife uh, who started to have Google eyes for Joseph. You want to understand? You know, go over and look at him and say, ooh, he's a hottie. So, I get the idea Joseph was a pretty good-looking guy, pretty sharp, had his you know, things put together pretty well. So Potiphar had to do a lot of traveling, so I left his wife home a lot by herself. And she says, come on, honey, come over tonight, and we'll have a little you know, grape juice and bread and all this. And she says, come on over here and sit down next to me. He goes, uh-uh, I'm going to do that. Oh, come on now, come on. It's okay, we're adults. Come on, sit down next to me. He says, no, 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 not going to do that. She says, rape! Guards come, who are they going to believe? Potiphar's wife. Throw him in prison. Spends a year in prison for a rape he's never committed. There's a sequence of events. He finally gets out again because of God's anointing in his life. He's advanced to the, the second under the, the rule of Pharaoh. He's put over the granary systems and all of that. Years later, his brothers show up into Egypt. To get some grain because famine has come across the land and they're hungry. Now, God didn't cause all of that junk in Joseph's life. But God was able to take all that junk to redeem a greater purpose. Joseph's brothers and his dad come strolling up to Egypt one day and sees them coming. and They don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph says to his brothers, now, guys, you meant it for harm. But God made it for good, and now he's used all of this. You sold me into slavery and all these other things. All these things you meant for bad, and he's going to make it good. Friends, Jesus himself wasn't exempt or removed from the pain and the injustice of this world. The night before Jesus' death, he was in the garden, and he was praying to the Father, Father, if it be possible for this to pass, let it pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Folks, you're told that your loved one has a tumor. You're told that the doctors don't know what's causing your child's fever. You're told that your child has leukemia. You're told that you're fired and you're laid off.
Isn't it a powerful thing to say that Satan is not going to win this one? So the question is not why. The question is what? What's the purpose of the will of God? As God's people, what is our purpose clear first? I hope nobody prays to God that life is short and so that life will be easy. God, don't pray that life will be short and that your life will be easy. I read the other day that most people don't fear death. Most people fear insignificance. And you know what? I, I'd rather die young, which I've already missed that opportunity, but I'd rather die young and know the purpose and work of God through my life than, than die old with no significance whatsoever. I really mean that. So the whole purpose for the people of God is to be the light of the world, and light allows other people to see in darkness. So hello, church. Why are we here? That's why we're here. So for 700 years before Jesus ever came, Jewish people had been living in these oppressive situations, subservient to the first Greeks, now the Roman Empire. Now remember, the first Christians were practicing what? There you go. Now, we know Christians from Paul's time, okay? Pre-Paul, the first Christians were practicing Jews. And the gospel of Jesus was spreading throughout the synagogues of the diaspora, of the dispersion where all the Jewish people were. Now, what was happening was this. The gospel was being spread throughout and into the world through synagogues, through synagogues that had been there for 700 years. Now, what I want us to see is how God has turned evil into good. Now, what's so amazing is these Jewish people have been raising their children for 700 years in a world where the official language was Greek. Now, the Hebrew people spoke what language? <laughs> no, close. Hebrew. Okay. All right. But they were speaking this Greek language, and they wrote the Bible in Greek. So guess who else could read the Bible other than the Jewish people? The pagan people, the Gentiles, the Greek people. They had the reading of the Jewish Bible about a Messiah. They heard about it. They read about the Messiah was going to come. A Messiah was going to establish an alternative kingdom. So God was using the suffering and the dispersion and the slavery of his people to speak to a whole new group of people. But they could be saying, well, Lord, we, we don't want to suffer because of this. I mean, you can get the word to them some other way. Well, that would be very selfish, wouldn't it? Remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Count it all joy when you fall into trials and tribulations, he says. Okay, friends, you've got to understand the time. 700 years of oppression seems like a long time to us, doesn't it, right? Okay, but friends, not in God's time because God's time is right. It's right on time. These people had lived in this decaying, corrupt Roman Empire where there were clear class structures, there was slavery, there was separation between Jew and Gentile, slave and free man, male and female. They'd go to these pagan 
temples and they'd, they'd, they'd worship there and all kind of fornications and all of this. There was no moral standards. And here were these people of God, the people of the book, living in the midst of this kind of world who were standing up for God. Even in the midst of hardship and persecution and slavery, they were setting moral standards. They wouldn't go to these pagan temples and, and participate in all of the stuff that was going on. And remember, these Romans had turned these houses of worship into places of prostitution. Yet the Jewish people stood firm. They were committed to their God and their families and the Word of God. Not only did they believe in this, but they believed that other people should have this same Word. They believed in inclusiveness. They believed in a community of people. They were committed to the better welfare of other people. They looked at other people around them and said, You know what? You're hurting. You know what? You need help. Do you know the first hospitals in the world came out of these communities? The very first hospitals in the world, do you know in that day and time, if you were a Gentile person and you were a widow and had no surviving sons, you had no life whatsoever, you were banished from the culture, you were banished from society, you were told to go live out in the desert and die, and yet one of the very first things that the first Christian church said was, take care of the widows, that's where it came from. This is what birthed the kingdom of God. Schools came out of this community. Folks, what I'm trying to share with you this morning, it's an amazing thing how God can begin to work through the disbursement and the hardships of his people. And all we hear today is, oh, how hard it is. Well, folks, I'm telling you what, it's going to get harder. Times are going to get rougher. And now's the opportunity for the world to see Jesus and the power of God living through his people called Christians. What I want us to understand, God's truth is going to prevail. Might not prevail in our lifetime, I can't guarantee that I'm not a prophesier. But we're all going to die of something. So why don't we die in the will and the work of God? I like what Brian McLaren says in his book. He's written a book called Everything Must Change. And he says this. I want you to think how relevant this is. The movement of Jesus conspires to set off explosions of spontaneous kindness. The plan is to replace regimes of domination and oppression with movements of empowerment and service in a complete overthrow of violent terrorism. They fly airplanes of generosity into towers of need and plant impoverished encouragement devices by roadsides and in neighborhoods everywhere seeking God's kingdom of equality. What a God. When the ashes were put on your forehead on Ash Wednesday and Clay and Christopher spoke the words, From dust you have come and dust you shall return, you were reminded of something. You're going to die. You're going to die of something. So the question this morning is, will you die in the will of God, working the work of God? James 1.22. James 1.22 You'll see there that faith is not hearing the word. Faith is not even believing the word. 
Faith is working the word. And faith does us no good if you're not working the word of God in your life.